Any of you do uh, like, like martial arts, like karate, kung fu, things like that? Anyone? Anyone? Got a few? Yeah. Uh, and when, when you're going to like strike a punch or a kick, what do you do? You ki-eye, right? You got you to gotta yell. So on the count of three, everybody's going to give their best attack yell. All right? Best attack yell. Uh, but you're not going to do it at me. You're going to turn to the side and yell at the person next to you. Right? I'm just going just gonna, to just gonna scare the snot out of them and just wake everybody up. That, 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 that's, your, that's your job. If you don't yell loud enough to scare the person next to you, then they will yell loud enough to scare you. And, and that's not going to be pretty. So go ahead. Loosen up. Loosen up. Come on. Yeah. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Everybody take a deep breath. Everybody, every, everybody, everybody focus. All right, ready? One, two, three. Yeah! Now I feel like we're ready for the sermon. I, I feel like we're doing a little bit better. Good job. Uh, did anybody, you know, she-she in their pants a little bit? Anybody? Anybody? No? It's just one. All right. Uh, pop quiz. Here we go. Question of the day to get the brain juices flowing. Everybody massage the brain. Here's the question. What is worth fighting for? What is worth fighting for? I will give you eight seconds to figure it out. What is worth fighting for? Get the flow going because this is going to be a multiple part question. What is worth fighting for? Okay, answer. What's worth fighting for? Let me hear you. Truth is worth fighting for. Truth is worth fighting for because uh, truth often gets buried, right? It gets occluded. You got to fight for it if you're going to find it and know it. What else? Life is worth fighting for. Yeah, yeah. I wrote a philosophical paper once where I argued that life is that which fights for its own existence. Think about it later. It's, it's really awesome. It's really awesome. Mike, you had one. What? Swag? Swag is worth fighting for? Swag is worth fighting for. I think swag is necessary for, to fight. You need a little swag. Swag is worth fighting for. That's why the man is so stylish. All right, what else? A couple more good ones. Air conditioning. Is air conditioning worth fighting for? I'm sensing that. It's a human day. What? Your marriage is worth fighting for. Really? I'd fight for, I'd fight for Ryan. Cute little dimples. Yeah, marriage is worth fighting for. Uh, uh, it, takes, it takes some work. Uh, news break for you newlyweds. Um, and uh, then it gets awesome. Sonia and I just celebrated uh, 27 years Friday. Yeah. One more. What? Salvation is worth fighting for. There's one Christian in church today. Thank you. Yeah, well done. All right, whatever is worth fighting for, let me ask you uh, uh, a ne the next question. How do you fight for it? How do you fight for it? You know, if, you're, if your answer was salvation, if your answer was truth, if your answer was your marriage, 
um, whatever your answer was, how do you fight for it? What, what, are your, what are your methods? What methods do you use to fight for the things that uh, you fight for on a weekly basis? I'll give you eight, eight seconds to think about it. Yeah. Knowledge. knowledge. You use knowledge. You use wisdom, which means you have to get knowledge, of course. You have to grow in it. You have to apply it. You ask God for strategies. You go, uh, you go to the, uh, the advisor. Yeah. Yeah. Perseverance is important. Yeah. That brings up another question. Uh, but first let me say, how many, for how many of you was it harder to answer how you fight than it was to answer what you fight for? You need something to fight for, and then you need a method of fighting. And then the third thing you need is, is, is a mindset. I think perseverance is a mindset. What mindset do you need to fight for what you want to fight for? The fighting for your marriage, your family, truth, salvation, justice, um, fighting for someone's life, fighting for your own. What mindset enables you to do it? What's the warrior mindset? Faith is going to figure in there somewhere, right? Because faith is the opposite of fear. You're going to need perseverance. What else might you need? We've actually talked about that sort of stuff before, so I'll leave that meditation uh, for now. My point is that you're really going to have to be intentional uh, about everything that you fight for in life. I think the truth is uh, that there are big parts of life, shoot, maybe all of life, that you're going to have to treat as a fight. And we get in trouble when we approach important things with anything less than a fighting attitude. There is a lot in the world that encourages us just to cruise, just to chill, and to take life as it comes, and years and decades can go by, and we realize that really we've just kind of been going along with the flow, treading water. Uh, and if that's you, then a lot of important battles have passed you by without you even beginning to fight. But if you're going to fight for something important in life, you're going to have to come up with a way to do it. Practical steps, technologies of life that you commit to. You know, coming to church is really just sort of a technology. It's a tool that ostensibly helps you to do important things. But what you really, really, really need to be a fighter in life is you need attitude. 80% of anything uh, is attitude. You need a fighter's attitude. And we try to encourage that in one another, uh, to stoke it up in one another. And we're in a sermon series on the life of Paul, and one of the things I love about reading stories of Paul's life in Scripture is how dedicated he was to the fighting spirit and everything that went with it. I've been following Jesus for, for a long time now, for, for well over uh, 40 years. And, and I think I can say this truly. I have never seen anyone lose their faith by simply losing their faith. And what I mean by that is, um, I've, I've seen many people lose their faith. It's always a product of losing their way. 
Nobody, nobody ever wakes up one morning and says, you know, I really, really believed in God, and now I don't. Um, the, I've objectively weighed the evidence, and now I'm going to decide against it. That's, that's never how it works. Instead, they get, they get tempted into something they shouldn't be involved in. Uh, um, they, they get lazy in life, and they just start to drift. They stop doing the things that gave them life. You know, they stop going to church. They, they stop fighting for truth. They stop gaining knowledge. They just, they just coast for a while, and they, they atrophy. And then they, they just can't do it anymore. And then they decide that their faith was legitimate all along as a way to rationalize away the dissonance that they're experiencing. People drift into defeat or they wander into defeat. It's really hard to defeat faith head on. In other words, I think people lose faith by not fighting for it. And if you don't fight for it, um, you're really vulnerable uh, to lose it. Or you could say that people don't lose faith, they just leak it little by little <laughs> until it's gone. And that's mostly an attitudinal thing. Uh, we have a saying at Blue Water, See if you can fill in the blank. Discipleship is, discipleship is follow through. You said that with great enthusiasm. If you can't follow through consistently, if you're not doing the things of faith, uh, then, then you're, not, you're not disciplining yourself. You're not a disciple. You're not one under discipline. If you can't follow through, uh, you drift. The question of my life uh, personally and in the ministry I do, is what does it take to become a person of follow-through? What does it take to be a, a fighter in this life? What does it take from me to make other people into people of follow-through? What does it take for me to develop fighters among other people? That, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of the question of life I think, because uh, you are what you do consistently. Discipleship is follow through. As we examine the life of Paul, we get to see how he followed through in a huge way. If you've been following along with the sermon series by now, uh, perhaps you've, you've seen it, you know. Paul was an original in most of what he did. I mean, he invented a way of church planting. He was the guy that took the gospel uh, to, to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. He took it into Europe. He had to come up with a way to explain what, uh, for some centuries, had been a mostly Jewish tradition and open it up to uh, a global way of thinking. And, and everywhere he went, he had to come up with different ways to start conversation. He had to figure out how to survive on the way, and he did almost everything he did independently. I mean, he took people with him all the time. They were different people at different, at different moments, but the guy was just driven. I mean, he was the ultimate self-starter, and he risked his life every time he went to work in the morning, often beaten and left for dead, as it turned out. The guy was a master of follow-through. Um, but we also get to see how he constantly strove to help other people get the idea that, that 
you know, life, life is fighting. Life is follow-through. You got to fight for it, people. That was probably his favorite sermon of all the sermons that we have recorded from him. You've got to keep at it. You've come to faith. All right, that's the beginning. Now, every day, fight. Stick with it. Keep at it. Make it the most important thing or you're dead. It's not going to work otherwise. Get up. Yell. Let me hear that warrior ki. Constantly, he was beating uh, that point. Uh, we have the, the bulk of, of the New Testament is actually letters, and most of them are written by Paul to Christians in churches that he had planted uh, all over the world, uh, some in Turkey, uh, what is today Turkey, others in, in Greece and, and Europe, um, Rome. Um, and I would say the bulk of the epistles is, is this. Is Paul really trying to stoke people up, to stoke them up in their fighting spirit? We have some selections today. Uh, I didn't quite know how to, like, you know, preach on all the epistles that Paul wrote. Um, but some selections, all of them verses that are popular memory verses uh, among, among the Christian crowd. Uh, we'll start with 2 Timothy 4.7. This is one that, that pretty much you know, every non-Christian in the country knows. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.7, this is Paul writing very close to the end of his life. And he's writing to his protege, Timothy, a guy who is like a son to him. And uh, Paul knows that he's going to die pretty soon. He's, He's uh, imprisoned in all likelihood when he writes this. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He says, even now I am being poured out like a drink offering, but it's okay. You know why? Because I fought every inch of it. And I never gave up. And I didn't just run. I finished. And if I die today, it's fine. Because I did absolutely everything everything I could do. Don't worry about me, Timothy. It's okay. Just, just do likewise. Uh, but what I love most about this verse is the metaphor that Paul uses, and he uses it a lot. It's like, I have fought the good, what? I have fought the good. Uh, I fought the good. That's a little better. A little better. We'll try that one more time by the end. I fought the good fight. It is, it, is, it is a fight. You know, I choose to see it as a fight. I was a warrior the whole way. Nobody who was with me can deny this, he says in a different place. You know, and it just makes me feel, man, do I get up in the morning and fight? Or do I get up in the morning and get online? <laughs> you know, enjoy that second cup of coffee. I, Paul must have just been an exhilarating guy parenthetically frustrating guy to be around. Um, he was always fighting. I have kept the faith, he said. He says he's fought the good fight. Of course, there are a lot of fights that you can fight in life. And one of the fights is to fight the right fight. Paul stayed focused. One of the things about warrior cultures all over the world is that they're very simple cultures. Um, warriors don't care about many things. They can't afford to. I fought the good one. 
the good one, Paul says. Uh, below that is Ephesians, um, excerpts from Ephesians 4, beginning at the, uh, the start of the chapter. Ephesians 4 is my favorite chapter in all the epistles um, to do with personal transformation and growth. Like the whole chapter is just a meditation on it. This is how Paul sets it up. Uh, again, he's in prison when he writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Uh, every believer, Paul thought, had a calling, a personal calling from God on their lives. And, and, and he opens chapter four by saying, live like it. God, the creator of the universe, has given you a purpose, a specific job to do. You can't just have a job. You have to have the life that fits the job. Live it out. Live a life worthy of your calling. That's what we're about, he says. And then he continues, you know, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. He lists all these different job descriptions that you would find in the community of faith. And then he says, he gave us all sorts of those different job, uh, uh, people in those different jobs to equip his people for works of service. Everybody gets equipment for what? To go to work, to do the work of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. We all have to go to work and we all gotta grow up attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's a phrase to meditate on, but it sounds pretty big. Have you attained the measure of the fullness of Christ? We're supposed to be working on one another to get there. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the wave. We won't just be going with the flow. We'll be able to, to uh, strike out on our own path, the one that the Lord has called us here. We won't be blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people people and their deceitful scheming, make no mistake, there are a lot of lies out there in the world that are just trying to grab your attention and get you to say something like, well, I don't know, I don't know about it yet. Well, make up your mind and get to work, Paul says. Instead, speaking the truth in love to one another, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love and here's my favorite phrase, as each part does its work. Every person here has to do their job, otherwise our body doesn't grow right and will be, will be weak. You know, if you have, a, if you have a, a, a bum knee, if you have torn cartilage in your knee, I can tell you from personal experience, like your whole body doesn't move correctly. You know, if you're not doing your job, everyone suffers. And that's a very sobering thing uh, for... Uh, for Paul to say, live a life worthy of your calling. I remember what Jesus said about being salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. If salt loses its saltiness, in other words, if you're not doing your job, it is worth nothing except to be thrown out and trampled by men. If you're not doing your calling in Christ, you're worthless. Jesus said that. Jesus said that, you know, and he was very nice. He's a very nice man. Paul picks up the theme. Remember the parable of the wise and foolish builders? Jesus said, he who hears my commands and puts them into practice 
is like a wise man who builds his house upon rock. It's going to be firm no matter what storms come along. He who hears my commands and doesn't put them into practice, fails to follow through, fails to get on it every day, is like some idiot who builds a house on sand. The first storm that comes, it falls with a great crash. And the difference is follow through. The difference is just going to work every day. That's all it is in Jesus' mind. That's all it is. That's all it is. Sobering stuff. Galatians 5, 7. And uh, we use the, uh, the version from the message translation of the Bible because I, like, uh, I like that version of this particular passage. Uh, and Paul is talking to the church in, in, in Galatia, which is sort of like central Turkey. Uh, and uh, he planted them. The church was prospering. And then they kind of fell into all sorts of of confusion and squabbling and stuff, uh, they, they, they stopped doing their, their job. They stopped fighting for freedom. And he says to them in this letter, you were running superbly. Who cut in on you? Deflecting you from the true course of obedience. Uh, that's kind of sobering. Man, what, def what deflects me from my true course in life? My, my course of obedience, my course of, of follow through. This detour doesn't come from the one who called you into the race in the first place. And please don't toss this off as insignificant. It only takes a minute amount of yeast, you know, to permeate an entire loaf of bread. Deep down, the master has given me confidence that you will not defect. But the one who is upsetting you, whoever he is, will bear the divine judgment. Don't let yourself get distracted. In other words, you're running a good race. Come on, hang in there. Speaking of races, do you not know, he says to the Corinthians, that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize, only one gold medal. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Or if I could paraphrase a little bit, live life in such a way as to get the gold medal. Live that way as an, as an Olympic athlete of the Spirit. That's the attitude that we need to have. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I don't stumble through my Christian life. I don't stumble through my ministry with anything but the uttermost focus and drive. Paul says, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air, you know. I don't think I'm tough because I can box a shadow. I look for fights, and I get in them, Paul is saying. I mean, it's, everything the guy writes just drips with swag, with attitude, you know. He was such a driver, this guy, such a driver. He wraps it up in the uh, final chapter to the Galatians. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Never give up on anything important. Never. You'll see your harvest. Just don't wimp out. Don't wimp out. That's what it says in the original Greek. Don't wimp out. Pretty sure. This morning, um, I got up at 5 a.m. I went to Lanakai and I raced in an 8K. I ran five miles this morning with my daughter Jojo and her cross country team. Yeah. 
don't want to brag, uh, but uh, I took second in my age division. I'm not going to tell you what my age division is. Uh, but there were medics standing by, you know. I'm, I'm in that age division. I'm in that age division. Um, I, I, I made it. I made it. JoJo took uh, second overall for women. Yeah. Not bad for a 15-year-old. She was beaten by some semi-pro runner from the East Coast or something, but we'll get her next year. Uh, and then I had to throw her in the car and bring her here before she got her prize, and she was really mad at me, but I had to make church this morning. Um, and uh, so I, I helped I help coach uh, her, her cross-country team, uh, which is why I was running this 8K. Um, and and I, I should not be running 8K. I have torn cartilage in both my knees, and I had trouble walking this week. My left knee was really swollen, um, you know, but, but I did it. Uh, maybe my time wasn't the best, we won't discuss that, but I did it because I made, the, I made the decision to be part of this campaign with the kids a long time ago, you know, and, uh, and because, you know, my kid, and now, you know, the other kids on the team, you know, you don't want to get attached to them, but you do, and, and you know, you care about running with them and stuff, um, but when it, when it comes right down to, I was, thinking, I was thinking this morning when I was dragging my butt out of bed, um, you know, I said, wow, I'm going to do this in spite of my cartilage problem. Um, I was really sick this week. I had a fever. I said, man, I don't, I don't feel like it at, at all. I'm not, e I'm not even sure I'm doing it for the kids. I'm just kind of a nut about following through on things, you know? It's like, I kind of said I would, and... You know, athletics is a place where I learned that when I was a kid. It's like, man, you got a team. You just, you just eat it and show up, you know? And you do the thing that, that you said that you were going to do. And, and well, this part of, part of that attitude is, is what it takes to be an athlete, and part of that attitude is what it takes to be a coach. Um, my understanding of life, particularly the life of faith, is that it doesn't require much teaching. It's really not hard at all to teach people the truth. It's not hard. Um, if you have any gift with teaching, you're, able, you're an articulate person, I mean, you can teach a person the basics really, really quickly. You know what's hard? It's not the teaching. It's the coaching. It's the coaching. I can, I can teach a person good running form in an afternoon, but that doesn't mean you're going to go race an 8K successfully. You know, it's, it's getting that person to, to train, you know, every day, you know, it's building up their attitude, it's reminding them of what they tend to forget in moments of stress. You know, it's, it's coaching, and, and we've said this before at Blue Water, we try to be a coaching community. Uh, coaching is where things get real and, and practical, you know. You can do church. Do you like this church? This is this a good place? I'm not asking about you visitors. I know we're worried about your regular people who keep coming back. You like it? Is it okay? Is it your church? Is it right? It's really, really hard for me to get people to show up to church on time. It's really hard. 
Yeah, shame. Shame. You know who comes on time? The visitors, and they don't feel welcome. Um, and, uh, and I've been harping on that for years, and I just, I, I can't get people to do it. You know, but, but that is not a matter of teaching. You know, that, that's, that's a matter of, of coaching, right? It's a little, little performance thing. It's hard, for get, it's hard for me to get people to have one intentionally significant outreach conversation per week with their friends at work. You know, to, to try and start an intentional, meaningful conversation about important things with one person at work every week. That's been a goal of mine in all my circles of influence. Tell me about the significant conversation you had at work this week. You know, I've drilled you on these five discipleship questions. Did you try to have a conversation? And I think our batting average is below 100. That's a matter of coaching. It's not a matter of teaching, right? That's a matter of pumping you up. Saturday Night Live, anybody? I'm dating myself. Um, it's hard. I mean, people love this community. People from the mainland come just to spend time in this community. We have a unique culture. It's really hard for me to get some people just to attend an Ohana group, which is really where our community lives. Only about half the people, 60% of people in the church do. But, you know, that's where we practice ministry and grow. But that's, what is that? That's a matter of coaching, right? Because that affects your weekly schedule. That affects your independent life. And, 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 and that's hard. A lot of people come to me hating their own lives, I can say, with no, uh, with no colorization of it. You know, it's like, man, I, I, I don't like the way that my life is going. And it's very, it's very typical for me to, to try to get people to commit to making one big change in the way they do their mornings. I like to start with the mornings. There's one big change in the way that you can do your AM. It's incredibly difficult to get people who hate their lives to make one change in the morning. I've got lots of ideas for fruitful changes, but it's just hard for me to coach that up. You know, it's, it, it's a coaching thing, right? It's a follow-through thing. It's like, you know, what does it take for me to actually do it? What does it take for me to actually get you to do it? That's, that's where things get real. I mean, that's what's difficult and challenging in life. Uh, we, have, we have multiple people at Blue Water Mission right now who have, who have picked up and moved across the country to join this church because they've heard some stories of what God does here. That, that, that's commitment. Uh, we have multiple people who have never been part of Blue Water Mission uh, but listen to us online or something like that who are traveling five to 6,000 miles to attend our upcoming all-church retreat just because they want to be with you for a weekend. Yeah. Uh, but last I saw, we had six registrants from this church <laughs> and the all-church retreat. I know there are going to be more than that, but, it's, but my challenge is going to get people here to actually show up because Every demon in hell will try to keep you from following through on that, even though we tell you it's the most important event that we do in, in the course of the year. Life will get complicated for you. You know, things will get distracting. I can guarantee it. It will be hard to do, even for those of you who are committed. And, and I'm saying all this stuff, and I'm not being judgmental in the least. 
Because I am a former depressive. Like, I know what it is to be a disempowered person in an extreme way. I mean, I'm the last person that will judge anybody who struggles with follow-through. I know exactly how it is. So did Paul, by the way. In Romans 7, he said, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate to do, that's what I do. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Greatest church planner in history. How many of you could write down that complaint, put it on a post-it note, and stick it on the bathroom mirror? It's like, I'm really, really good at doing what I don't want to do. Even when I try not to do it, I do it. I really suck at doing what I decided was important to do, even though I decided that it was important to do it. Anyone? Oh my gosh, yes, yes. And this guy lived an extremely difficult life, mostly on his own, and I think that's why he said things like this. It's like, it's hard, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to freaking fight. I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to come up with all these metaphors. I'm going to tell people to be athletic. I'm going to tell them to be Olympic athlete in their thinking. I'm going to tell them to never, ever give up. I'm going to tell them that if one person doesn't do their job, the whole body's going to suffer. That's what I'm going to do. Why? Because that's what he needed to do. And, and so do we. And so do you. A lot of the church retreat is going to be dedicated to, uh, to, to means of attitude and follow-through. We're going to talk about, you know, how best to coach ourselves up how best to do our mornings, our days, our conversations, for sure, so that we can fight the good fight. Uh, we're going to talk about what it takes to run as though to win, as Paul says, about not giving up ever, to live a life worthy of our calling. We're going to talk about the technologies. We're going to make it really, really practical. Live a life worthy of the calling, and, and, and Paul said that a hundred different ways. That's what we're going to focus on. He said, take action every day on things of godly purpose. And, and, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take some practical steps, uh, come up with some methods and some accountabilities to make sure that that's what we do because we're a coaching community uh, above all else, above all else, because coaching is where the action is. That's where the payoff is. Uh, but here's one tip I want to leave you with today uh, to wrap this up. Um, one tip uh, for fighting the good fight consistently for taking action every day on things that you decided were important. And it's simply this. Take yourself very, very seriously. Take yourself very, very seriously. It's a point that's implicit. And Paul says, live a life worthy of your calling. Do you know that you're called by God to do important stuff? You're like, well, not that important. You're calling Jesus a liar? I mean... No, you got to take yourself very, very seriously. You got to have enough swag to do that. That's part of the fighting attitude. You got to walk into the ring and be like, you don't want any of this. That's the attitude that you need uh, in life. Take yourself very seriously because who else is going to do it? Right? Who else? Um, I went to, I went a little retreat uh, recently. Uh, the church board. Uh, sets aside uh, a little money and sends me off 
uh, well, I don't, I don't go off as often as I should, but um, to like pastors, uh, pastors uh, retreat uh, of my choice uh, so that I um, stay uh, healthy and so that uh, they can tolerate me. Uh, did I express that correctly? Lord? They're very, very generous. Uh, so I got to take a trip to, I went to Idaho, I went to Canada. I spent a lot of the trip alone, but I went to this one place where they did a little, little prayer ministry uh, retreat in, in Idaho. And uh, it's really cool. Uh, they was there for like four days and they assign uh, a, a minister from the, the center to just pray with you like four hours a day uh, and uh, just kind of talk about what what uh, the Lord is saying. It's a little bit like our Sozo ministry uh, in a way. Uh, and so you do this personal inventory and you bring issues uh, that, that you would like to grow in, things that you would like the Lord to help you solve. And so my issue coming in was like, well, you know, my problem is like when I get tired, when I get frazzled, when I have conflict, I, I, I'm short-tempered. I get angry all the time. I get grumpy. That's my go-to. That's my go-to, you know, anger. And there's a, there's a name for the type of person who goes to anger whenever there's stress or frustration. Uh, we call them men. And, um, and I'm a very manly man. So I'm like right there, I'm a very short-tempered guy. And uh, you know, I was grumpy enough to like affect my family. And, uh, and so this guy had been praying for me for like a week before I showed up. And uh, so I said, that's what I wanna pray about. You know, it's like, it's, it's not appropriate for me to get, to get angry. Uh, to be so angry in life all the time, I think is what I said. And he said, well, of course you're angry. I said, what do you mean? I expected him to say something about, well, you know, you had a tough childhood or these things. It's like, well, you're angry because, you know, I've been praying about you. Um, I've been reading your story. You know, I, I checked you out uh, online. You have a huge calling on your life. And you're not seeing it fully yet. I said, That's, that may be the best thing anyone has said to me in a long time. He says, you're right. And I just carry that around. You know, I said, you, you got to take yourself more seriously, Jordan, is what he said. And not be so grumpy. Um, I'm going I'm to do that as well. But it was such a, it was, it was a nice, you know, healing moment for me. A lot of us live in a tension. It's like we want to take ourselves seriously, but you know, we learn not to, or there's so many forces keeping us from taking ourselves seriously. And that tension becomes stress, and that stress becomes, well, in my case, it becomes short-temperedness and grumpiness, and you know, I'm just a bear to live around. You know, that's my go-to. What's yours? Maybe you act out in a different way. Maybe you reach for some sort of false comfort or something. Look, take yourself seriously, but here's the kicker. You gotta live it out. If you take yourself seriously, you can't be false about it. You gotta live the life worthy of your calling. But take yourself seriously. Are you following me? Are you feeling me? Somebody say, Kiet! I, I just surprised you with that one. It's not fair. Sorry. Action often flows from identity. You are not the person who settles for a lame, lukewarm life. You're better than that. You're better than that. That's your identity. 
I'm sure of it. You are a person of influence and consequence. You are not accidental. The fact that you're here today is not accidental. You have work to do in this community. Otherwise, we're not going to make it as we should. Your choices are often life and death. They're about your life and death, and they're about life and death for other people as well. You're a person of confidence. Don't be a coward. Get up. Get to it. Start the conversation. That's who you are, man. That's who you are. Fight the fight. Don't get your butt kicked every day just through inaction. Your identity is not, it's not where you are now. Your identity is all about where you're committed to go. So get committed and get on it. Who taught you to cruise and compromise? Who taught you to cruise in life? Who taught you to take it easy? Um, that kind of persuasion, as Paul said to the Galatians, does not come from the one who called you. He didn't say, I have life-changing work for you to do. When you can get to it. That's not how God put it. To no, man, get up this morning and follow through. There is no shortcut. There is no shortcut. You've got to embrace the suck. You've got to embrace the hard work. Or as Jesus said when he called Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, Paul learned from the very beginning that there was no shortcut, that it was all hard work and pressing in and pressing on. There is nothing in life holier than the moment of getting to work. That's not scripture. That's just one of my personal proverbs. But that moment when you get to it, that moment when you first try to do that significant thing, holiest moment in all of life. We call that moment the try. I think it's everything. And uh, I think Paul would want us to embrace it.